The following program is sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 and Odyssey Inc. Advisory services offered through Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services, LLC. A registered investment advisor. Certain but not all investment advisor representatives at Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are also registered representatives of and offer securities through LPL Financial Member FINRA, SIPC. Wealth Enhancement Group and Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are separate entities from LPL. Wealth Enhancement Group is a registered trademark of Wealth Enhancement Group, LLC. Sound strategies to make sense of your financial life. Answers to everyday questions pertaining to your money. Brought to you by Wealth Enhancement Group. Helping you to plan and invest with confidence and clarity. After all, it's your money. Rashini Rajkumar here. You are listening to Your Money on WCCO Radio with host Bruce and Peg. Understanding what to expect from retirement is a key to having the retirement you want. Today, Bruce and Peg will offer advice to avoid being surprised. You can text your questions in today, 651-989-9226, and Peg and Bruce will have answers for you all week. Ask your questions of them at 888-6ADVICE or email your money at wealthenhancement.com. Here's Senior Vice President, Financial Advisor Peg Webb, and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Good morning, Bruce and Peg. Hi, Rashini. Peg, you there? I can't hear Peg, but I'll... I'll... Yeah, we'll Go just ahead. keep going. And... I'll get I'll get Peg on the phone, maybe to start things off, and then. But you, yeah. you can take it away. Okay. I'll yeah. Get all right, Bruce. It is important for people to not be surprised when it comes to retirement plans. Yeah, Rashini, thank you. That's a great lead-in, and it's a great point because even though we talk about this subject frequently on this show, and as much as we can in terms of uh, the information that we try to provide for the public, it it it's still Frequently, when somebody comes in to see me for the first time and I talk to them about their retirement goals or their vision or even what age they want to retire at, I get this deer-in-the-headlights look and they haven't thought about it. And so I, I don't think we can talk about this too much or too frequently. So what do you want out of retirement? I'd ask all listeners to challenge themselves right now and ask that question. Number one, when do you want to retire? What age do you, do you want to retire? And what does your life look like at that time? Are you going to, if you live in uh, Minnesota or the upper Midwest right now, a lot, a lot of our listeners know our show uh, originates in Minnesota. Do you want to move somewhere warmer or at least snowbird and have a warmer place to go to in the winter? Or do you want to do the opposite? Do you want something on the northern Wisconsin or northern Minnesota lake? Um how much do you want to travel? What hobbies do you want to pursue? Do you want to help family? Do you want to help kids and grandkids financially? Um, are you going to be charitable to your church or your favorite charitable uh, organization? Uh, most people find, I, I have not yet been blessed with grandchildren, but most of my clients that are grandparents will flat out tell me having grandkids changes what they thought their vision of retirement was going to be. And, and being near or seeing those grandkids as often as they possibly can, uh, becomes a, a really big issue. So, so these are all things that people need to think about before they get there. And then sometimes, Rashini, people tell me, well, yeah, I would like to retire at age 62, but I don't think I can. You know what? We can help people determine that. We can do a, a, what we call a future value forecast where we know where you're at right now. 
Okay, that's the only thing we know for sure is where you are right now. But we can project or predict the future making certain reasonable assumptions. If you if you make X number of dollars per year, let's factor that in until the age you say you want to retire. Then when your paycheck stops, how much money do you want for the lifestyle that you want? And again, that's why we need to know what people's vision of retirement is. Because if we know they want to take two vacations to Europe a year or they want to you know, pursue these hobbies or they want to give this much to charity, we can determine how much income they want and then we can make assumptions in terms of the inflation rate. I'll talk more about inflation in a second, but we can we can build that into the model, uh, an assumed inflation rate, and an assumed aggregate return on all of their money, knowing that some of it's in the market, some of it's in cash, something, some of it's in something in between. So we can tell people, yeah, you can go ahead and retire at age 62 when you thought, or no, you can't. You have to work longer. Or if you're not willing to, to work longer, then you may not be able to spend as much and or we may have to change how we invest to try to get a higher rate of return. So there's a combination of things that we can do. But, but to just assume I think I can or I can't, um, why not find out specifically? And, and, and we've been doing this a long time. I always tell people on any given year this forecast might be off by a lot because – the forecast is going to be linear because it has to be. So the assumed rate of return or the assumed inflation rate, there'll be years where inflation is a lot higher or a lot lower, or there'll be years where your return is a lot higher or a lot lower. So in those years, the projection will be way off. But we know that's going to happen. This forecast is a long-range average, and there will be other years that, that counteract the, the year that was way up. There'll be a a year that's way down out there somewhere, but the average long term, if you look at a forecast that I made a decade ago or eight years ago or 12 years ago and look at the numbers today, they're really, really close. Uh, we've been doing this a long time and we're pretty good at it. Bruce, I was so going to just... When do you just... want to retire? What does your retirement look like? How much money is it going to take to live the way you want to live? And Rashini, yeah. and listeners, the other thing we always coach people on is, and this, this seems counterintuitive. I think almost everybody that hasn't retired yet assumes that when they do retire, they're going to spend a lot less. They don't have costs associated with going to work. They don't have, they're not contributing money to their 401k or their, whatever their retirement plan is anymore. And a lot of costs go away or go down and they think they're going to spend less. But in my experience, and I'm sure Peg would say the same thing, people actually, the first roughly five years or so after they retire, spend a lot more. And if you think about it logically, it does make sense. Everybody or almost everybody has a bucket list. They have things they want to do, trips they want to take, places they want to go, mountains they want to climb, whatever, airplanes they want to jump out of. So they go do those things after they retire. Now they have the time and hopefully they have the money or the economic wherewithal and so we see spending spike the first several years after retirement. Then when they've crossed everything off the bucket list, then we see spending you know, go down. But again, when we do the forecast, we don't necessarily build that increased spending in because we're going to take what the long-term average will be, and we know it will come down uh, again also. So, But people need to be aware of that. People planning for retirement need to be aware and understand that this idea that when I, when I retire, I'm going to spend less. Um, 
I don't think so. Not in my experience of doing this, you know, 37 years, I rarely have ever have seen anybody retire and spend less the first year after they retire than they did the last year they did while they were working. They almost always spend more. All right. Well, remind people that they can get their questions in today by texting us at 651-989-9226. Peg, I know you have a lot to say about those questions to ask uh, as people are thinking about retiring. I think Bruce gave us those great questions. You know, what age, what does your life look like? What are some thoughts you have so people won't be surprised when it comes to retirement planning? Well, what's so fun about our job is that we get to live through all these people's lives. And so I feel so prepared if one day I say I want to walk out and I want to retire because I've really practiced with all my clients. And uh, I think about we're kind of correlating today's uh, radio show with the closing ceremonies of the Olympics. And one of the things that I have recognized is watching the Olympics, I loved watching them, that all those people that were uh, performing and competing were on this unbelievable high. And then all of a sudden they come down from it. And I correlate that to our clients. You know, you're working, you're working, and all of a sudden they go through this retirement phase and they're, they've got, it's a little bit of a downer in the beginning, until they settle in. So I, but to encourage people that are listening, you know, that last third of your life that you just dream about for two thirds of your life in retirement is such a fun stage, I think. And I, and I enjoy living through people's lives uh, in that stage. Great. Hey, Greg, I like what you just said. And, and hi, uh, good to be with you again, by the way. Um, a third, a third, a third. That's the other thing I think people need to realize. I think if you go back a generation or two, retirement was a relatively short period of time, and people didn't need to plan for a lot of income for their lifestyle because they weren't going to live that long after they retired. If they worked until age 65 and they got their gold watch, statistical life expectancy then was you know probably late 70s. So they, they only had to have enough money to last you know 12 or 15 years. But today, retirement literally for a lot of people, for probably the majority of our listeners, is going to be a third of their life. If you retire at 60 or 62 and you live in your 90s, you know, thir- roughly 30 years out of 90 is going to be spent retired. So your money has just got to last longer. You got to be more prudent and more uh, thoughtful and plan and plan for this uh, next phase of your life. Yeah, and I think there's some things that people kind of forget when they retire, and that's why we're important in that we remind them that you don't just retire and then you don't have to pay taxes. Like people think, oh, you know, they take it out of my paycheck. This is not that complicated. Well, then when people retire, they all of a sudden are turning on some different types of income. And one of those types is your Social Security income. And that's complex in itself in that it's not just like getting a paycheck. There's different bulkies, if you will, or dollar amounts that you qualify for in Social Security. But then the IRS comes back and says, oh, wait a minute. If you're over 
you know, 34000 as a single person or 44000 as a, a married filing jointly, you're going to pay 85% of that dollar amount flows onto your tax return. And then you pay your taxes based on the tax rate that you're in in each given year. So it's an education process, Bruce, to kind of go through, yeah, now you're retired. Not only do we have to find uh, money for you to live on, but then all of that money is taxed a little bit differently, starting with Social Security. That's one that we educate on right away. I'm glad you switched gears to taxes because um, it is logical to talk about this because just because you're not working and not earning a paycheck anymore, you're retired, doesn't mean you're not going to pay taxes. And in fact, in, in many ways, there's good news and bad news. The good news is because there's a variety of different sources of income that might all be taxed differently, there's a planning opportunity there to legally manipulate your taxable income to reduce your tax liability. I oftentimes tell people that the best planning or the most valuable planning that we're going to do for them may not happen until they retire because while you're working, your paycheck is your paycheck. And other than contributing uh, to a pre-tax retirement plan, there's not a whole lot you can do to reduce your tax liability. But when your income is a combination from taxable accounts or tax-deferred accounts or tax-advantaged accounts, or pension money or social security money, all those things are taxed differently and, and you have some flexibility as to where that income comes from. So that's the advantage. The disadvantage is it can be more complicated and you're still gonna pay taxes, but the advantage is that you might have some opportunity to do some planning to control and to reduce those taxes. And with regard, I'm so glad you brought up social security because with regard to social security, I know I know there's people right now listening that haven't retired yet or aren't drawing Social Security yet that didn't realize that you're going to pay taxes on that Social Security benefit. Because, again, it seems so counterintuitive and so wrong because you paid into Social Security when you were working. The FICA on, that, on your paycheck, FICA, that's contributions to Social Security. So it's like I was taxed when I was working. Now I take that money out when I'm retired and they tax me again. They tax me twice. But that's the way it, it works, and, and that can get complicated. But, again, there's planning opportunities there. And I don't want to dive too deep uh, this week because I think actually next week uh, we're going to have Rhonda Whitenack from the Social Security Administration on, and we'll do an entire show on Social Security. And even that is still not enough. We need to talk about this almost every week because it's such a big part of retirement and still, I think, so universally uh, misunderstood. So, yes, you're still going to pay taxes when you retire. Social Security is one of them. What else you got from a tax standpoint? Well, and I don't think, we, I don't think we've brought this up in the last couple weeks, at least, is pre-planning for retirement in how your dollars are going to be taxed. So um, right now we have a lot of later 50s, early 60-year-olds retiring, and some of that has to do with COVID and working from home, and they're just saying they just don't want to go back to the rat race. They don't want to be jumping on airplanes, flying overseas, and they're retiring. And it's interesting for them when they come to us, the first exercise we do, Bruce, is we take all their holdings all their investments, all their lifelong earning buckets, and they actually are taxed in a certain way. So 
some of their money is taxable because they on um, when they got their paycheck, they took some of that net money that they already paid tax on and they invested it. They either put it in the savings account or they bought stocks or they bought bonds or something. And now they have a 1099 every year on those accounts. Tax deferred, everybody loves tax deferred. And they love it to the degree that they almost buy too much of it, meaning they have a big IOU to the IRS. And in the last bucket that uh, many folks have taken advantage of is tax deferred. They've either purchased Roth throughout their career or they've done some Roth conversions or they bought some municipal bonds, but somehow, some way, it's got some kind of a tax advantage. So the first exercise is when people come to us, we take all their life savings and we put them into these separate kind of buckets. And why do we do that? Because taxes matter in everything you do. So we want to do an analysis of how much tax you really owe the government over your retirement years. And how do we use those buckets in your best interest, mix and match them, to try to stay in the lowest tax bracket that we possibly can? Uh, and, and the reason we want to do that is because, number one, your, your lifelong savings will last longer if you don't have to share too much with the government uh, along those decades of retirement years. All right, let's get into our text. This person says they want you to help settle a bet. At 50 years old, would you rather have 250000 in a 401k or a $250,000 rental that's paid off and makes 1500 a month? <laughs> that's a really interesting question. Peg, do you have an opinion? Well, the first thing is I'd, I'd love to know what the rental, um, you know, basis is. If you bought that rental for $5 and it's worth 250000 you still have a big IOU to the IRS similar to your 401k. So could you create 1500 off 250000 Absolutely. I think you could. So I don't know that I could actually... Uh, have a vote and and have a winner or loser on this question yeah i don't think we can settle the bet i think there's 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 too many variables that we don't know my first thought was well i, I understand the question they, they they they're posing it as an either or in the real world i would hope to not accept the premise of the question and say it doesn't have to be an either or it can be both but i get why they were asking they're they're they're, you know, they're trying to be specific um, the second thing I thought of is, um, and this is important to know, and, and I think the texture probably does, if you have 250000 in your 401k, and you alluded to this, Peg, that doesn't mean you get to spend 250000 And we have to remind people of this all the time. That, you know, they come in, they, they want to retire, they show us their 401k statement, and they're proud of the, of the amount of money that they've accumulated there, and they should be. But roughly 25 or 30 cents on the dollar, depending upon, you know, your tax bracket at retirement, when you withdraw that money, is going to Uncle Sam. As you always say, there's an IOU to the IRS. So there's a lot of variables there that, that you can't really answer that question. But I think we would say as financial advisors that we are certainly not opposed to diversifying and investing in individual real estate also. That's, that's going to be a very effective part of a portfolio. Hey, Peg, let's wrap up taxes. we got a couple minutes left. Let's wrap up taxes, and then
And then the second half of the show, we'll finish our discussion and let listeners drive it the rest of the way. Yeah, the other thing we're already planning for, even with these later 50-year-olds and early 60-year-olds, and really at any age, is the required minimum distribution. So the SECURE Act of January of 2020 is now allowing us to defer our IRAs until age 72, but then the IRS requires that we take some out. We start taking some of those distributions out for some of these younger folks in that we don't want to create such a huge bucket of deferred money uh, for 10 or 12 years later because then their required minimum, you don't have any control. You don't have any control about how much tax you're going to pay. So with it, so two things. We just pull money out for these folks to live on, or we're doing Roth conversions to try to get it in a more tax-favored bucket uh, while they still uh, have time and can control their taxes. Yeah, we find ways to soak up the low bracket that you might already be in and use up that bracket till we bump into the to the top of the next bracket. It's all part of retirement income planning and tax minimization and so that you can keep more and Uncle Sam gets less. Rashini, I know we're getting close to break time. Uh, we'll finish our discussion on uh, retirement thoughts, and then uh, listeners can drive us uh, the rest of the way home. Some really great information you've already given us, Bruce and Peg, and I think it is so important to ask those questions that Bruce laid out at the top of the show. And I'm just a little teaser when we come back. I do want you to also get into how you figure out that age. You know, if someone says, hey, I want to retire at 62 and really giving them that reality check, whether that's a good idea or not. All right. Get your questions in for Peg and Bruce today. Understand what to expect from retirement so you don't have any surprises. They've got some great information for you. Be sure to get your text questions in. You can do that by texting us at 651-989-9226. We are back on Your Money. Rashini Rajkumar here along with your hosts, Bruce and Peg. Today, Peg and Bruce are giving you advice to avoid surprises when it comes to retirement planning. We're also taking your questions. Text us 651-989-9226. But first, Bruce, a quick uh, recap. Yeah, really quickly. And also, Rashini and listeners, questions don't have to be solely on today's topic. I, I think a texter in the first half had a question about real estate versus a 401k. Um, we're, anything is fair game. I don't always know the answer, but Peg almost always does. So any financial question will be fair game. Hey, really quickly, if you joined us late, um, some of the things we talked about in the first half of the show, and, and this is really important, is just understanding what you want your retirement to look like. Have a vision. When, what age do you want it to happen? What does it look like? What are you going to do? Um, how are you going to fill the void created by not working anymore? What are your hobbies? What are your passions? What about grandchildren? Are you going to live in the same place? Are you going to downsize? Are you going to have a vacation home either in the warm climate in the south or in a northern uh, Minnesota or Wisconsin lake? What does it look like? And it's never too early to start thinking about that and, 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 uh, and creating goals for yourself of when you want it to be and what you want it to look like. And then we also talked a lot about the fact that just because you retire and you're not, uh, you're not earning a paycheck anymore doesn't mean you're not going to pay taxes. You're going to have a lot of different sources of income at retirement. It might include Social Security. It might include a pension. It might include withdrawals from taxable accounts or tax-deferred accounts or tax-advantaged accounts. 
how do how do you control your tax situation? How do how do you minimize taxes? How do you spend the smartest money first? What we call retirement income planning, and that's mostly what we talked about. We got a couple more things we could go to, but Rashini, I'd I'd rather take questions from listeners and and let and go where they want us to go. All right, we do have some texts coming in again. You can text us six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Hello, could you please tell me if there's any sort of advantage to starting a 529 plan if I'm just going to use it right away when I start school in the fall? Oh, great question. Hey, Peg, um, obviously the texter knows what a 529 is. Maybe we expand on this a little bit and tell everybody what a 529 is and maybe what some of the other um, strategies or opportunities are for saving for education. Yeah, I'd be happy to, Bruce. Uh, 529 is a very popular choice for saving for college costs because uh, the income that you achieve or that you earn on that is tax-free if you follow all the rules. And one of the rules is, is that you use it for higher education, or they recently have now allowed um, you know, parochial school and um, private school while you're under college age. And then they also have recently added a provision that you could use up to $10,000 to pay off some existing school loans. So people like to look at those for all those components that I just mentioned. One of the advantages of 529s is uh, tax-free. So one of the things that I did uh, for my children uh, way back when, when they went to college, is that I bought the fixed rate of return. Uh, I, I checked that box instead of going into stocks or bonds because it was a short-term uh, need for college money. And at that time, believe it or not, it was paying 3% tax-free. Now, you're not going to get that today. And so you could look into those if the 529 plan has a fixed option, because even if you have it in for a short period of time and you use it for um, college or, or schooling, then you would get it tax-free versus a regular savings account that would be taxable. So that's probably still the most popular savings account for college. You know, there's a couple other ones. Coverdale is another one where um, some clients choose that, but the cap of dollars that you could put in it is very minimal, but it allows you to go buy something that's outside a state-developed uh, plan, and you could go buy, let's say you like Apple stock for your child and you wanted to go buy that individual stock. You can't do that within a 529 issued by a state. So with a Coverdale, you can go buy the stock and still have that deemed as college um, savings. So those are probably the two popular ones for so uh, that's a really good summary for so people understand how to save for education. Now, what about the specific question? Do you like the idea of a 529 if you're just going to take it out in the fall or if you're going to use it immediately? Well, that was where I uh, referenced the fixed rate. So if there is a fixed rate where you will have no loss in the 529, and it's net of fees within the 529, you may want to look at that because I did utilize that personally with my girls. And, um, and I, you know, then I got the tax free fixed rate versus being taxable as a savings account in the bank. 
So you think there might still be an advantage for the texture? That's right. There could be an advantage based on what interest rate you could earn in the short period of time. I'm so glad you said that because my answer would have been, if I had been uh, alone, I would have probably said, no, I don't like the idea, but I hadn't thought about what you just said about, you know, if you can get the, the same interest rate tax-free as you can get somewhere else taxable, the net net is better. I, I wouldn't have even thought of that because I think of 529s really as only being effective if you have time to let the tax-free treatment of your rate of return really, you know, have a number of years to make that more more poignant. Um, but but I do think it's true that the longer you have, like if you contribute to a 529 for a newborn, for an infant, and you've got 18 years, it's probably going to be more dramatic and more effective than if you do it when you're 17. But I, I see your point. It's probably never too late. It might still be appropriate. All right, Bruce, people are taking you... Yeah. People are taking the two of you up on asking all kinds of questions. You can get your questions in for Peg and Bruce today, 651-989-9226. This listener says, I have $750,000 cash. I say, wow, they're lucky. They're 65 years old. Can they put this in a trust fund for themselves and collect 3000 a month? They're wondering what you would suggest. Great question. Peg, talk a little bit about... Uh... Uh, legal documents like trust funds and, and how our clients use these strategies? Yeah, I, I think, you know, having a trust is one option for uh, estate planning. That's E-S-T-A-T-E, estate planning. And I don't believe a trust has anything to do with creating income. It's actually how you want to... Uh, divvy up your assets after you pass away. And so there's a couple different types of trusts. There's revocable trust where you can name everything in your trust. And then if you pass away, uh, folks like ourselves would be able to look at that trust and say, oh, this is what this client wanted. They wanted us to direct this money to this child, direct this money to this child. Maybe you can't give the money to the child until they turn 50 because that's something you could write in a trust. Another type of trust is irrevocable, where you put money in it and you say, I'm willing to give this money away today, but you could possibly create an income out of that trust for yourself so that the rest of the money would go to your children one day or whoever you deem. That's a hard decision to make because once you give that money away, there is no taking it back. So the second part of this question was, can I... uh, can I get $3,000 a month, which to me, that's $36,000 a year out of $750,000. And that might be possible. Um, I often think of a million dollars, and if you want $36,000, that's 3.6%. And we usually say a safe withdrawal rate, uh, even at 65 years old, would be about 4%. So um, I think that would be achievable, Give unless you won't allow us to purchase both fixed income holdings and growth holdings. And I say that because it'll be, it'll be difficult today to try to create that income with a fixed kind of a guaranteed product. Yeah, you know, and I thought of... Um... Thank you, by the way. You do such a good job. You, you explained that much better than I would have. Um, but just to elaborate on a couple of things that you said, Peg, um, 
one of our advisors, in fact, one of our attorneys, uh, one time I, I asked a question about trust, and they said, Bruce, the word trust tells me nothing. The word that precedes trust tells me everything. There's a lot of different types of trust. But usually when someone says trust to me, I think they're thinking of and I think of irrevocable trust. And so then you get into the question of, do you need a will or do you need a trust? And why do you ever need a trust? And what's the difference? And I don't want to go down that road, but you did a nice job of explaining that. But the other point that you brought up, is, which is where my brain went, is the texter says, that, you know, 750000 and I don't remember if they said cash or an account, but it led me to believe it was it was a conservative fixed income account. Maybe it's not. But if it is, yes, we would want to diversify that money, you know, have some of that money, roughly a third, completely safe in cash or cash-like vehicles where there's no risk of principal. There's maybe not much return either, but it's safe. And then maybe a third, moderately aggressive and in a variety of different asset classes, stocks and bonds and real estate and precious metals and, and like gold and silver and commodities and so forth. And then maybe a third in growth and stock aggressive. And so then if you, if you structure it that way, you can probably create an income stream that not only uh, can you take the $3,000 a month, but maybe you don't even invade your principal. And when you leave this world, you still leave your loved ones $750,000. So I think, you know, there, there's two key components to that. Do I need a trust and why and how does that work and what are the advantages and how do I invest that money? But the question really seems focused on creating an income stream that they can outlive. And I think that's going to be more important that you invest it appropriately and how you own it, whether it's in a trust or not, probably isn't going to matter whether or not it lasts as long as you live. How you invest it is probably going to be the more critical of those two components, I think. All right. This person says, is there a penalty if I accidentally put more than 6000 in an IRA? And who would know if I made a mistake? <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great question. So, Peg, a lot of times um, I defer to you first just to be a gentleman. On this one, I, I just realized I don't remember what changed. There used to be... Um, a mulligan or a do-over if you overfunded your IRA, but something changed. We don't get to do that anymore. I don't remember how that works. Well, what we can do is, so if you put 6000 in and you weren't eligible to put 6000 in, um, and, and there's a couple different types of IRAs. There's one that's a deduction on your tax return, and then there's another one called a Roth where it's not a deduction, but you qualify to put a deposit in a tax-deferred plan that could be tax-free for you. If indeed you make a mistake, and this happens a lot, where people don't know what income they're going to have by the end of the year, and sometimes they win the prices right, or they went to the casino and they won some money, or they have more taxable money than they thought they were going to have, which disqualifies them maybe for all or a portion of that IRA, we can actually code that for the following year. So what we do is we just contact the custodian, change it from being the previous year to the current tax year. And then if indeed they owe too much or they have too much income in that year, we can keep moving it forward. The other thing you can do is pull it out 
but there's a penalty on the earning that you've earned while you were sitting in there. So that's a calculation that has to be done. So it's a lot easier, Bruce, just to recode it if you can. Yeah, I um, I remember that until the law changed, I had a certain number of clients that their income was variable. How much they made from year to year could could change their whether they're in sales or their part of their compensation was the success of the company or whatever. And they weren't sure if they were going to exceed the limit for Roth contributions. And I always said, just make the contribution. If you end up making too much money, that's an easy fix. But that's not true anymore. We have to be a little bit more careful to make sure we don't create a, uh, a nightmare for the client. Okay, lots Correct. of really interesting texts are coming in. And people with money who have questions for you, you can text us in these remaining minutes of our show today, 651-989-9226. This person says 300000 to invest. What are five good buckets with moderate risk? Five good moderate investments or moderate buckets for uh, $300,000. Again, I, just before I, I turn it to you, Peg, I want to say on your behalf to answer the question, again, we respect and appreciate the question, but in fairness to us, there's a lot of variables there that may impact our answer, but just give some thoughts. Yeah, generally that's an easy one for me to answer because uh, if you're going to be fully diversified, then it would be uh, number one and not in any type of order probably by by age, you know, how much you're going to have in each one of these categories. So that would be growth, things like stocks. Number two would be fixed income, things like bonds and things that are safer, that are less volatile. Number three, real estate as kind of an inflation hedge. Number four, uh, inflation focus, commodities, currency, treasury inflation protection bonds, things like that. And then number five would be a percentage in cash. Now, the percentages of each one of those are going to depend on what's important to you, what your values are, what your goals are, what your income stream that you need are. Uh, but I think those are the top five. Peg, that is so good. I, I don't have anything to add to that. That is a way better answer than what was going on in my brain. Okay, Peg and Bruce, let's try to get maybe do a little bit of a fire round on a couple of these and then get into at least one more intense question. Can you add a beneficiary to a, an irrevocable trust? Can you add it? Okay, so with an irrevocable trust, you've already determined uh, who the beneficiaries are. I don't believe you can add anybody. The only thing I've seen is is when somebody has passed away, um, that they're eliminated from the irrevocable trust. But I don't, I've never added anybody. And that's actually a legal question, meaning it's not like Peg Webb personally going in there and adding and subtracting. That's something that you have to consult your attorney with to see if that's possible. Things other than irrevocable trust is a tricky one, and it's one we don't use that often. But uh, most things you can add a beneficiary or change a beneficiary. So on your investment accounts and your IRAs, you can change beneficiaries anytime you, you want. Irrevocable trust is a different kettle of fish.
proceeding? Along those lines, uh, this request coming in from a listener, uh, can you bring on a wills and trust attorney in the future? So that request is in. I'm sharing that with you. Another person is saying, as far as the look-back clause of Medicare, is real estate protected in an irrevocable trust? The look-back clause on Medicare. So, okay, they're probably talking about Medicaid bag or, or uh, uh, medical assistance. And, and real estate. And while you're thinking, um, I just want to say in terms of having a JD on or an estate attorney, we, ha- we have, and we will, we have, uh, in-house attorneys at Wealth Enhancement Group on our round table, team of specialists, uh, uh, Kate's been in and, and, and yeah, we will, we will do that again. We have done that before. So we'll honor that request. I'm just not sure when. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so trying to, to, um, relocate or, or hide assets from Medicaid, meaning, you know, so it looks like you've spent down all your assets and then you're going to go on the government. When it comes to a house, it really depends, Bruce, if you have a spouse, because that spouse still has the right to live at that property, but uh, the government, if you will, can put on a lien on that house so that you pay back for some of that cost of the nursing home um, when that spouse actually passes away. And any other real estate other than the house that you live in, I'm sure is treated just like any other asset. So, yeah, what the texter's talking about, listeners, is, uh, again, to legally try to, to hide assets so you qualify for medical assistance, There's a you can, you can change ownership and you can transfer and you can do things but then there's a five-year look back on almost all of these things, and, and the, the, the exception is the house that you live in if, if you're married. But any other real estate, I assume, Peg, it's just like stocks and bonds and bank, money in the bank, and et cetera. It is. It is, Bruce. All right. We are winding down. We've got just over a minute here. Um, a person is asking, I'm going to read it to you, and we may not be able to get to the final answer, but it's just a great question. I want to make sure this listener knows that we heard it. 61 years old, just received $95,000 from an estate, two hundred thirty dollars in a rollover IRA, 13000 in a work 401k. They have a $265 car payment, $1,100 mortgage payment, 1200 spousal support. Where should that money go? They have approximately 70000 in income. Um, we're tight on time, Peg and Bruce, but is that one that maybe they can, you can handle for them offline? Peg? Oh, well, of course we can. We can ha- handle it offline. The first thing I would just say is look at your debt and what you're paying for it, and then consider if it's too high and you can't earn that money, then go ahead and pay some of that debt off. Yeah, that level of detail should be a one-on-one conversation with an advisor or she, and I know we're about out of time. Yeah, that was a fabulous quick response, Peg, and you can call them at 888-6-ADVICE and get that question in. That's your money for today. We'll be back next Sunday. The previous program was sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 and Odyssey, Inc.